Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Before we get going today, a quick reminder to register for our sweepstakes. That includes flight for two, hotel, rental car, as well as a Glazier staff pass. Go to glazierclinics.com win. On today's Coaching Coordinator Podcast, we're going to talk about the pursuit of speed and power. And joining me to discuss a number of topics in that realm is Tony Howler of Feed the Cats. Coach, it's great to have you back here on the podcast. Oh, I'm glad to be talking with you. I love talking to football coaches. Well, I think the last time we, we spoke about a year ago and we got into focusing a little bit more on some of the in-season things. And I know at this time of the year and thinking back to uh, what I did as a player 30 some years ago, what I did as a coach probably uh, not too long after that, that this was the time of the year where we get in the weight room and we're just going to get bigger and we're going to you know, we're going to build our power. And at the end of those sessions, maybe we'll take the guys out in the hallway because it's cold outside. We don't get outside that much and and we'll run as far as we can, you know, taking as little time as we can in between just to make sure, you know, we're getting that conditioning and that we're tired. And that's, that seems that paradigm is, is still out there. And that's the approach to it. When I mentioned that coach, what, what things, come to your mind in in addressing that way of training well first of all you've got to really open your mind because this you know when when coaches are doing that today and let's just say there's a that is the normal traditional thing and most coaches are still doing exactly what you described what i went through back in 1975 I mean, it's still going on today. Like you said, you're going to lift hard, no pain, no gain. And then you're going to run with one goal, and that is to get tired. And that somehow all that will make us tougher, and, uh, and it's just going to make us a, a great football team with a great culture and all that kind of stuff. And, and I think that coaches need to open their minds that very possibly we might be doing everything wrong. What I would suggest is that we should not – ever intentionally want to get tired. As a matter of fact, the book I'm re- not reading, I'm writing a book right now. It's called Tired is the Enemy. And it's just such a, a difference in the way conventional, traditional sports have been done, especially football, which is the most traditional 
sport in, in the world where people did exactly what you said. No pain, no gain in the weight room. You just lift like crazy. And then you go out and do quote unquote sprints in the hallway. But the sprints were never sprints at maximum speed because every guy knows you're going to do so many of them that the mm-hmm. first half you better save up. You better glide on the first half. And then you're going to be really tired in the second half. And you just fight through it. So you're never going fast. Your nervous system is being detrained, and it just doesn't work. And so what I propose is to flip it all around. First of all, you never can train speed when you're tired. You must be fresh to train speed. So I say you have to prioritize speed. And to do that, it doesn't mean you don't lift. It simply means that you need to sprint before you lift. You need to find freshness in order to speed train and and during that speed training session the work is not that hard you're not doing anything for more than five or six seconds and it's all with full recovery because if you really think about it football is not a sub max sport football is a max sport maximum speed maximum intensity and if you're not hitting those maximums if you're not hitting those extremes you're going to be moderate in games And you don't want to be moderate. You want to be extreme. So in a typical speed workout that we have, we may work out with 50 kids and we go through a speed day like I just got done doing about a half an hour ago. And we'll do less than 90 seconds of work in like 55 minutes, less than 90 seconds. That just blows people's minds. And football coaches don't like it because that's not the way they were brought up. And the kids are kind of happy and bouncy. And that doesn't look like what we need to do to these kids. We need to, like, work them hard. But remember, we're not looking for plow horses. We're looking to create race horses. And we're talking every damn position on the football team needs to be a race horse. I mean, I could talk for days about the big cats, the offensive tackles and defensive linemen, how athletic they need to get. And, and so we, we do this workout. And then we go to the weight room, and guess what? That speed workout has become the greatest potentiator for the weight room you could ever ask for. The kids actually feel better after a sprint workout than they felt when they walked into it. And so they go in the weight room with their nervous system on fire, and then they're ready to lift. Now, the one thing that hurts people's feelings about the weight room that that I strongly believe is that you can never let today ruin tomorrow. So in the weight room, if you are crushing your kids on Monday, then they're going to have a terrible sprint workout the next day, probably the next two days. So you have to keep things. What what I would tell, if you have to crush your kids one day in the weight room, you do it at the end of the week so that the weekend gives them enough time to recover so that you never, ever, if you prioritize speed, you have to prioritize it, which means you can never let the weight room ruin sprint workouts. Everything you're saying really resonates with, especially where the game is going to today. And you look at the way teams spread the field. You look at the athletes that are on the field. More and more, you hear about these hybrid defenders, these these guys who are uh, maybe a little bit bigger, uh, strong safeties or a little undersized defensive lineman. They could play in level two. Some of those guys could 
strong safety types can play on level two and level three. And you need them because the ball is going all over the place quickly, right? The de- the defense is uh, being stressed in ways they never have before. And it requires, if they're, you know, you are going to stress a defense, it requires you have some speed there, right? The Certainly there's those teams who will put, you know, the bigger guys in the game and do some things there. But you see a game that, I mean, it is, it's spread out all over the place and you have to run. I was watching a game last night. You have Lamar Jackson running around being chased by Miles Garrett and Miles gets an angle and runs him out of bounds. I mean, you know, this is a 280, 290 pound guy racing down one of the fastest guys in the NFL. So it just tells you the value of speed on the football field. But again, you know, it's it's breaking out of the traditional way. So for you to say we're going to train sprint work first and we're only going to work 90 seconds in an hour, it's just not the way. It's anti-junction boys, right? It's anti-Bear Bryant <laughs> and what we would do to those guys to prove we were tough. And I think we we mix up a lot of what we're doing in trying to train, whether it be toughness and somehow that makes its way into our, our workouts. Um, you know, we're trying to train speed, yet we end up uh, detraining speed and, and the effect, I've, I've seen it uh, firsthand, is over the course of even the off season or into the season, guys get slower. So those are things we're trying to avoid, yet we're not doing the things that get us there. That's right. And I think I don't want to be critical of the SNC profession because uh, there's a lot of SNC people that are really good friends of mine and they really, really understand it. I just love what Joey Garasio is doing at Florida Atlantic. I could name, I could name so many great ones, but I can name some of their embarrassments. They're just total embarrassments to their profession. They are power lifters, they're bodybuilders and they're cheerleaders. And somehow coaches have kind of signed off on the building of athletes to their S&C program. And that's great if you have Matt Ray and David Ballou at, at Alabama, but it's not so great if you have some of the other jokers out there. And, you know, we always want to talk about the, you know, uh, Tyreek Hills of the world, these wide receivers that hit 22 miles an hour on the field, which is amazing and all that stuff. But what we don't talk about enough is like, for example, uh, I did some research, the top 10 offensive tackles in the NFL, the top 10 rated offensive tackles in the NFL, average height, 6'5", they're all within an inch of 6'5". Um, their average weight, 309. There, there's no little offensive tackles and there's no fat ones. They're, they're all around 309. And they ran a legit laser timed 4.90. This is the average time of offensive tackles, 6'5", 309, and they run 4.90. And then I look at these offensive tackles at the high school level that are 6'3", 255, and they run a 5'7", 40, a 5'7". And they're being trained not for speed, but they're being encouraged to get fatter. They're, They're no pain, no gain in the weight room. And then they run their ass off in the hallways. And, and it's just, it's so backwards and people say, well, that's just the NFL combine. No, it's not. We're, we're talking that the fastest offensive tackles play the longest, play the best. Slow does not age well. It doesn't play well. And why do offensive tackles have to be fast? 
Well, <laughs> defensive linemen are absolutely crazy. I just did some research. I'm doing a presentation for our TFC, and, and uh, there's the four rookies that are the sack leaders in the NFL. And the average of these four guys, 6'4", 253, and their time in the 40, 4.52. I mean, if you see a guy 253 pounds who's 6'4", who can run a 4.52, which is faster than some running backs in the NFL, you will realize that you do not want fat, slow offensive tackles. They have to block these guys. Mm -hmm. And so if speed is so important to perform at, at a high level, it's just as important in college it's just as important in varsity football in high school uh, that speed and, and the ability to move fast is truly the tide that lifts all boats. The fastest guys have the best potential with, for agility. They have the best potential for weight room gains because their nervous system is so good. So I just think it's a win-win situation when you get away from the you know, the god-awful conditioning of the past. And one last thing I'll say about traditional, uh, uh, the traditional approach is that many high schools today are having trouble fielding a freshman or sophomore team, big high schools. And the reason for that is the traditional uh, let's grind mentality might feel good to the head coaches who went through that as a player. And I will always say that most coaches were grinders and in high school and college, they were the hardest workers, and that's why they went into coaching. They were not the cats of the world. So to think that these coaches are just grinding their players, and so what happens is the good basketball players, they would never even consider playing high school football anymore. And eventually, we're going, going to have to sell football to high school athletes, and I think the time is probably now. Coach, we've hammered the idea of this problem. Uh, we've talked about some benefits to it, why you want to get your athletes fast, and uh, talked about some overview type things. But before we got going, you told me two things, I think, that are, are pretty encouraging as to this is something that coaches can fix right now, right away, and have a very positive offseason here, especially if you're still inside those walls of that school because the weather's bad outside. And you said, number one, the offseason is easy. You could talk about it all day. So we're going to see what we could pack into this, this 30 or 40 minute show. But you also said that for you, it's about teaching people to ask the right questions. That if you can get them to, to ask the right questions about what they're doing and how they're doing it, uh, they're going to be able to have the answers they need within their program to keep their athletes developing and get the speed that they want out on the field, the speed, athleticism, the power that can be developed. Yes, and that's one of the things, anybody that knows anything about the Feed the Cats program, is that the way that we really feed cats is by record, rank, and publish. We, we measure what's important. We measure speed in many different types of metrics, whether it's the 40, whether it's an acceleration, a, a 15 into a 10, or a, a, a full run-in, 10-meter fly. We, we measure all those things. And then we put it out on Twitter with videos and all that kind of stuff. And I tell my kids that 8 billion people in the world have access to their times. Every, every damn time we run, 8 billion people can see their times. And so my kids never forget their spikes. They care. It adds significance, all that stuff. The other great thing about, uh, about when you record 
performance in practice. Well, first of all, kids are going to perform because you're recording their performance. But as a coach, you will know, let's say after four weeks, your whole team is 10% slower. Then you will start asking the right questions. What in the hell are we doing wrong? Well, in the past, we never timed anything. Not once, ever. Well, sometimes we, you know, once a year, we'd time the 40-yard dash on the field or something, and coaches didn't even know how to time it. It was a joke and everything. But in today's world with free lap and all that kind of stuff, I mean, I had five kids today run over 22 miles an hour on my track team. That means my track team has a chance to be really good. And if you start asking those questions, what is wrong with us? Why aren't we getting faster? Why are we getting slower? Then you can start addressing those problems because I would say almost always it goes back to the fact that you are not training fresh. You are burning the steak in the weight room. You are seeking fatigue instead of seeing fatigue as the, as the enemy. All those things. And then here's the beautiful thing. Once you start doing that, all of a sudden, you know, that, that point guard that would start for you at, at corner in his first day of football, all of a sudden he sees your football program as something that looks attractive and something that instead of something like a, uh, a special ops thing or something with the army. So uh, all those things I think really fits in. And that's why, you know, so many programs, I don't know, you know, how many hundreds of programs are, are now feed the cats football programs, but it's really something that's taken off and, not one guy has ever said to me, I tried it, and I went back to the old way. Nobody ever will because it's it's the way of the future. So when we're looking at this, uh, definitely agree with you. Learning to ask the right questions, I think, is important in coaching, whether we're talking about the weight room and, and getting faster or we're talking about the things that happen out on the field, the X's and O's that we have to fix. Asking the right questions is a big part of this. We'll direct you to the Feed the Cats sprint-based football on CoachTube, which is only $39, and it's almost three hours worth of, of content, uh, just amazing content. I've, I've been through this numerous times. You'll learn a lot here. Uh, but for an overview and to get our coaches thinking about how do I plan out these next few months, and we have a few weeks here before we hit the holidays. I know some coaches will – you know, give those those holiday periods off. Uh, I know we're dealing a lot right now with different things around the country as far as having a social distance and can you wear masks, how many kids can you have in a weight room, all those things we're still dealing with. So we'll set those aside for the time being. But looking at the overall, what do we do right now? How do I get my guys going in the right direction? And I think probably an important part of that, because if you haven't done this before, it's going to look different to your athletes who – are used to coming into the weight room at this time of the year and doing certain things, I guess creating the buy-in you need to too. So uh, let's start there though. We've given the ideas of why we want to do this as coaches. For those teams that you've seen implement this, have there been things that they've had to overcome in terms of of buy-in and getting kids to understand why they're doing this right now when they've always done it a different way? And that way it may have worked. They may have been champions with that way, but why are we doing it different now? I would say 98% of, of all kids are going to buy in. You're going to get that 2% that, you know, whose dad keeps telling them at the dinner table that, you know, by God, they're not working you hard enough, all that kind of stuff. And, and so then, you know, the dad takes them out in the street at eight o'clock at night and runs some sprints or something, because that's what 
he did when he was in high school or something. So you, you always have those things, but you know, coaches are good. Coaches are always charismatic. They're, you know, good coaches can sell BS to kids and make them think it's good, you know? So, you know, you just have to sell it. And, and I think the hardest sell is with your football assistant coaches. I've had high school head coaches, tell me that they're all in with Feed the Cats. They're all in. I mean, they're, they're going to prioritize speed. They're going to still get strong, but it's going to be a speed and power program, and we're not going to do conditioning anymore and all that kind of stuff. And he said, but you know what? I might have two or three of my coaches just mutiny on me. I think they may be talking behind my back. So I think that, you know, once again, you have to understand that coaches are typically not from a cat-like background. They, they probably hated the cats on their team. Those guys seemed a little bit lazy, but would catch the touchdown pass. Whereas they worked their butt off. They came early, stayed late. They worshiped their coach. They were great teammates. Those are the people that become coaches. So what do they want to see in their program? They want to see a similar mindset. They want to see those hard working, try hard guys. And, and effort is the most important thing. And I always say, wait, effort, is not the most we're trying to perform you know we're trying to win performance is key not effort anybody that's constantly talking about effort probably has a fatigue seeking program in the off season so you really got to get away from that and you know i i know i can come in you know and and i do this a lot now where i'll come in and talk to an entire staff and you know you, you give me a day with the staff and and they'll all they'll all understand why they need to change. But some people who are new to this way of thinking might not have, I've been defending this for 22 years. So, so they, they might not be able to explain it as well as I do, but that, that will be a struggle at times. And I think the other big problem, as I mentioned, is parents, you know, sometimes parents really want to see their kids dragon coming home from practice every day or coming home from their off-season workouts every day and and if they're not it's like what's wrong with that coach is he soft you know like everybody knows that you got you got to beat the hell out of those kids to get them tough and you know have a good program and i think that that's just not the case and and the buy-in will really come and i love this from joey Garasio. i asked him i said how how did you get such a buy-in at florida atlantic um, with, with your coaching staff, when when you were chasing speed and power and not power lifting and conditioning, and he said it's the numbers, coach, they can't argue with the numbers. When they see how much higher we jump, how much farther we jump, how much faster we're getting, and how much stronger we're getting in the weight room, those four things really create a massive buy-in with a football program. So once again, it all goes back to that record, rank, and publish and keeping track of your numbers, measuring what matters. You don't measure stuff that doesn't matter. You only measure stuff that matters. And I, I'll go back and repeat what I just said, you know, that, that we want to create apex predators, whether, whether they're your, you know, your 280-pound offensive tackle or your, um, or, or, or your uh, cornerback that's, that's 5'9", 150. You want him to lift heavy, sprint fast, jump high, jump far. People say, wait, why is jumping so important? Jumping is measuring explosion. Sprinting is measuring your central nervous system. And of course, lifting is measuring your strength. 
So all those things are really important. And the typical program, all they would do is one of those four things. They would lift heavy. So that part, I think, is is very important to this. I know the teams that I've worked with that have had the most success in the offseason, we're very detailed about the record rank and publish and, and how we went about that. But you, you pointed out you have to measure what matters. There's a ton of things we can measure, and, and some of them don't matter. So I would think, especially if we're going to start, whether that's this week or when we get back from Christmas break, there's going to have to be some kind of, of baseline taken. So what are the things you recommend that you measure right away? Because as you said, the results, people seeing the results, both the players, the coaches, the parents, all those things are important to buy in. So we want to make sure we have the baseline. So for you, what things do you recommend that you measure uh, as, as far as what matters? That's a great question. And um, one of the problems is that if you're a weight, weight room centric SMC guy, which I would say almost everybody is uh, SMC guys are basically weight room people. There is a big question on whether or not I was talking to one of my kids today, a good running back on the football team. He's one of my fastest kids. And he was bragging about being able to bench press 300 pounds and um, 315 is what I could bench press. And I said, you realize that if, 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 if you increased your bench press to 405, by next season that you wouldn't be any better as a player he looked at me and said what sure i would be because i could bench 405 i go no you'd probably be clunky you'd be slower because the bench press is is important for strength but is it really something that matters especially if you get beyond a certain point i know that dr matt ray talks about um, if you can squat 2.6 times your body weight anything more than that does not change you i would even say that it may diminish you if you can squat four times your body weight because you will not be as natural in your movement you might be a clunky mover Uh, the same thing is said by brian kula uh, uh, who really believes in the deadlift the uh, underground secret stuff by barry ross and he trains mccaffrey I know that's a, a sad thing this year with McCaffrey's injury situation, but but uh, but their goal is to deadlift three times body weight. Their goal is never to uh, deadlift 3.5 or four times body weight. So so you got to be careful about about measurement. I don't think there's anything in the weight room that that directly translates to being fast. There's not a single lift that I can say I can pick my four-by-one team by seeing uh, what four guys are best at the clean. No, there's a hell of a lot of slow guys that are good at cleaning. So that is really difficult. So I would say the most important things to measure, do the 40. You do the 10-meter fly or 10-yard fly, which is a full run-in to top speed. You measure how fast they can run at top speed for 10 yards or 10 meters, and you turn that into miles per hour. Um, the 10 yard thing, usually for football coaches, they'd rather go 10 yards. Um, however fast they can go 10 yards on three lap, you take 20.45, 20.45 divided by the 10 yard fly time. And, and that's their, uh, miles per hour. And if you want guys that can hit, hit 20 miles an hour in a game, they better be able to hit 22 miles an hour on the track wearing spikes. 
if they're if they're running twenty miles an hour on the spike on on the track, they'll they'll, they'll be lucky to get eighteen on the field. You have to really develop that that absolute speed. So I I would do those two things for sure. We do about seven different metrics, but those two are the most important. Uh, most football programs all all they ever want to do is like accelerations, um, and they never get to max speed, and they wonder why they're not fast. You have to run fast to get fast. So, so yeah, I think those two things. And then we measure vertical jump and standing long jump all the time. I believe that testing is training and training is testing. Um, if, if the four kids that jump the highest on my track team are my four fastest kids, I say that's not a coincidence. Of course it's not. Because vertical explosion has a direct line towards being fast. You know, squats have no direct line to being fast, but the ability to jump high does. So for sure measure vertical jump and for sure measure uh, standing long jump. And it doesn't have to be a test once every eight weeks. Matter of fact, it should not be. You should test it as often as possible. We test speed twice a week. We test jumping twice a week. And we always record, rank, and publish all that stuff. And, and there's other things things as well you can do uh, you can measure how, fat, how far you throw a medicine ball um, you, when you really start asking yourself the right questions what matters then you find ways to measure those things uh, what doesn't matter how you know how fast you run the two mile run that doesn't matter um, how long it takes you to do a thousand stadium stairs that doesn't matter uh, and so, once again, it goes back to what we were saying. You have to ask yourself the right questions and then understand that testing is training and training is testing and and record, rank, and publish and stay consistent and never burn the stake and realize that tired is the enemy, not the goal. And all of a sudden, new worlds just open up for you. With the published part of that, and I know this is an, an accounting task, how often are you publishing those and – any tricks to that to make it uh, make it something that's painless for the coach? Because you know, I certainly have been in that time period where I tried to record yeah. everything, publish everything, and it was it was an accounting nightmare. <laughs> I I've been called uh, an Excel savant by my own <laughs> family, <laughs> so I, I think I'm good at it. Uh, Google Sheets are, I think, are pretty easy. Okay, we did a speed workout today. And before we started talking, I entered every speed time from three different metrics. And I will put that out on Twitter in about half an hour. And uh, along with the picture of the five guys that ran 22 miles an hour. And, and so everybody, you know, 8 billion people in the world that have access to the Internet could see those times. And so I record every time we have a workout. Um, if, if, if we measure on the Just, just Jump map, we record those and we put them out. Now there, there are ways, and I actually have a course um, on coach to called record rank and publish. And, uh, and probably two times a day or three times a day, I have people asking me for templates. Um, and I just send them my, my thing and say, make a copy and then type in your own names and you know, the formulas and everything are there. So we do it consistently. And I will say this, that even though, my job um, in a speed workout or an X-Factor workout seems pretty simple. 
And it is. It's actually pretty damn fun. And my work really happens when I get home. You know, after that, I think I was at school for an hour today. I will probably spend between 30 and 60 minutes doing work with those numbers. And one of the things I like about that is I really become, those numbers become a part of me. I I totally understand who's improving and who's not improving. I totally understand uh, if if as a group we had a good day. Like today we had a great day because we just came off of a five-day break and my guys were super fresh. And many times it's not like that. And you say, why is that? Well, maybe it's because it was a, you know, it was a five-day week and, you know, we had, we had testing and blah, blah, blah. But we're always asking the right questions. And I think you have to find ways uh, to get good at that record, rank, and publish. And I kind of have. And I, I will say, too, that before Twitter and before the Internet and stuff, I was literally taping it up in our weight room, you know, taping up our, our rankings. And, you know, we would just print them off and tape them to the wall. And every kid knew what their time was. Every kid knew how high they could jump, all that kind of stuff. And uh, we just stay really consistent with it. The the best thing coaches could do is go in and get this. And, again, I'm going to share the links to um, both of those that you mentioned and some other courses we'll talk about here, as well as the Track Football Consortium in the show notes. But to, to finish up here, again, coaches looking ahead, planning out the, the next few months here, uh, baseline things you would recommend to any coach that you'd want to see in their training program so that they've got a good baseline and they're really getting things headed in the right direction as far as developing the speed and the power that they're pursuing? Yeah, I would say, first of all, start treating your entire team as athletes, not just your wide receivers, but your entire team needs to be treated like an athlete. I've been doing a lot of work with lacrosse teams lately. And, and even for goalies that you, Oh, a goalie doesn't sprint. No, he needs to be the best sprinter he can be because because the ability to move fast is a key to athleticism. When we talk about an athlete, we're usually talking about strong, explosive, fast. And everybody wants that. So those are the things that we're going to focus on. So when when we do workouts, we do speed workouts or X-factor workouts. So speed workouts, very simple. We do about 10 speed drills, and we teach sprinting every time we do those. We have no warm-up. We start with speed drills, and then we do three-time sprints. That simple. Ten speed drills, three-time sprints. And then X-Factor days, these are days I actually invite football coaches to come in and take a station for me, where we are doing exercises that we think have a reasonable hunch that these things are things that fast people do well, slow people do not. So we want to become all of our kids our fat kids, our skinny kids, doesn't matter. We all want to become like fast people. We want to be more like a fast guy. So if that means jumping high, jumping far, throwing the medicine ball a long way, all those things, those are the things we do in those X-factor days. And people always want to know sets and reps. What I say is if you walked in during an X-factor workout for us, you'd see 85 to 90% of our guys watching the other 10 to 15% do an exercise. So the, the recovery is, is so pronounced. Then, and my kids just totally understand now that if they are doing like some jump exercise 
and and they're dead they're they're dead legged and they're they're jumping half as high as they normally do. They're not getting any better. So so we are never ever going to burn the steak, and so we have nothing but that all week long. And then I just tell whoever's in the weight room, don't ruin my sprint workouts. It's a pretty simple thing. Just don't ruin the sprint stuff. And they said, but we need to crush them once in a while. Okay, crush them at the end of the week. Don't crush them on Monday like you used to, where 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 it will ruin everything we're trying to get accomplished on Tuesday and Wednesday. For coaches out there who aren't familiar with their stuff, what would you say uh, for those guys who are in pursuit of speed and power? What's the the starter pack? You say go to Coach Tube and get this, this, and this. What are the what's the minimum here you would recommend coaches get started with? The football bundle uh, would be the thing, and and I think it's I think it's like fifty percent off, you know, like normal price when you. I think it's like eight courses all together. That's a speed workout, the X Factor workout, the, um, you know, my three-hour football coach tube course, uh, Brad Dixon's four-hour coach tube course, and Brad Dixon's just amazing. I, I think that would be the minimum. And then a couple other ideas. We just got back. We sold 150 tickets to a Feed the Cats seminar out in the middle of, or out at uh, South Sioux City, Nebraska, a couple weeks ago. And, you know, I, I spoke for three hours on Friday night and then uh, six hours on Saturday, all feed the cats, all, all track and football. And it really went well. So there's there's a chance. And people that host me like that, they make three or four thousand dollars by doing it. So that's another possibility. And then the track football consortium would be the third thing. And and my my talk at the TFC this year I actually imagined that some football coach hired me to come in and run his winter program. So, so by doing that, my entire presentation is, is pretty much what we've been talking about here today. You know, what I would do, you know, how I would do it, how I would convince those Neanderthals on the football staff that want to quit because we're not working the kids hard enough, how I would convince them that we were doing the right thing. Yeah, and the consortium, the great thing about that is there's so many different types of people. There's sports scientists, there's coaches, um, there's really a, a, a we, I, I call them rebel talents. There's, there are people that are not centrist, and I don't think change ever comes from the center. Change always comes from the fringe. The center protects the center, the status quo protects the status quo, and there's way too much of that in football. And I think that the, uh, the ideas that really change the game come from people like Hal Mummy when he was at Iowa Wesleyan 40 years ago when he hired Mike Leach as his offensive line coach and they just changed the game they 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 were not status quo they were on the uh, on the very fringe and they come up with air raid and uh, football's never been the same I agree with you 100% here and I love what you are doing for the game uh, doing for athletes across multiple sports. And the football bundle is $97. You save uh, 44% by buying that bundle. And it has uh, within it uh, seven courses. It's getting started, uh, sprint-based football two, rocket fuel for sprinters, sprint-based football one, rank, record rank and publish the X Factor and the speed workout. So uh, a ton of material there. Coach really puts all the detail in it. And the Track Football Consortium, I highly recommend that as well. That 
you can register at tfc.coachesclinic.com. And I highly recommend this really to, uh, I know we have high school coaches listen certainly to you. I know we have some small college guys. I know the responsibilities of the football strength and conditioning usually falls on an assistant. I think this is a great place for you to get your off season started. I know, you know, you guys probably have a, a few weeks left and then they're, they're at home for the holidays, but when you get back, you can really, uh, literally and figuratively here, hit the ground running and, uh, get you guys fast here for 2022 Coach, is There anything I missed there? I'm, I'm trying to make sure I covered everything for you. I really believe in what you're doing. So I, I want to make sure coaches have these resources. No, I, I think that you covered everything. And I mentioned Brad Dixon. One of the great things about the whole Feed the Cats movement is that we've created a network of people that, that you know, are almost evangelical in, in the way they, they go from place to place. And they answer all emails and they support each other. And they really, they're, they're just an entire network that you can get involved with where it's not just me. I say the next generation of Feed the Cats coaches are going to be much better than I am because I made the mistakes for them, and they've learned from my evolution, and, and they're, they're just going to take it and run. And where can our coaches see all the work that you're doing with your athletes on Twitter? Um, that's at PN Track. Uh, I coach at Plainfield North High School in the Chicago area, so it's at PN Track on Twitter. And uh, I run a, a daily propaganda can- campaign, and it's a lot of fun. And the Track Football Consortium begins tomorrow, December 1st. Be sure to check that out. And I will have all the links to the consortium as well as the courses we talked about here in the show notes as well. Coach, it's, it's been great to talk to you again. I look forward to more of these conversations, and I definitely look forward to the Track Football Consortium. Coach, thanks so much. I really love it. Thanks. Check out the show notes for all the links mentioned here as well as the link to our sweepstakes. To win Flight for Two hotel rental car to any of the Glazier clinics around the country, plus a staff pass. Total value of the package is $1,900. We've collaborated with Glazier clinics to offer you that in honor of our five-year anniversary. We'll award the package on our five-year anniversary, which is December 12th. Go to glazierclinics.com win to register. Follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski and follow all we're doing at coachingcoordinator.com.